Welcome back to Film School Sucked. This is Matt, sitting here with Leah and Becca. Hello. Hi. Welcome back, everyone. This episode, we watched Leah's movie. Yes. Which was? Mad Max Fury Road. It is the second installment of our watching the best movies that everyone else has not seen, or the rest of our team has not seen. So it's quite a series title. Yeah. Bit of a mouthful. Yeah, we're working on it. (laughs) Workshopping it. Yeah. If you have any ideas, let us know. First things first, I wanna I wanna get first reactions. Because I know how I feel, because I saw this movie when it first came out. Like literally I think I saw it like the opening day or the Mm -hmm. day after. Did not want to go see it. It looked like garbage. They did not advertise it very well. Which is the whole reason we didn't see it when it first came out. Yeah. I liked it. If I had seen it when it first came out, I wouldn't have liked it. Because my tastes have changed a bit since this came out four years ago. Yeah, I liked it. I liked all the characters. I thought they were awesome. I liked the action the most, though, I think. And the idea of all of them doing their own stunts. Most of them. I know not all of them. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking um, floored, (laughs) to be honest. I'm tired now. I'm thirsty yeah. I feel like a born-again Christian. Like, this is, <laughs> must be what they feel like. Like, wow. It's a lot. Yeah. it's It kind of blew every expectation I have out of the water, even with this four years of build-up since its release. Wow. Yeah. I, I told you. Yeah. That's all I have to everyone, say about Everyone. Everyone's been telling you. But you know, like, when everyone tells you something good, it, you become wary, but... No. It's one of those rare instances where it's better than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting to have you guys experiencing the thirst and the everything. I remember leaving the theater and like forgetting that the color green was something that was widely <laughs> available to see in the world. It was very refreshing for it the eyes. It didn't help that I drank an entire thing of cold brew right yeah. beforehand, so I was just kind of jittering the entire time. Yeah. Plus the added anxiety of the entire movie was Yeah, and the frame rate lot. and like everything. It was pretty really, overwhelming. Like, build it. Not in a bad way. On there. No. It was just... In addition to... I mean, this is really kind of one of those films that, like, the whole point is that you get as high anxiety as you possibly can Mm -hmm. to fully experience a fraction of the anxiety that the characters are going through. (laughs) As we sit on our couch. Yeah, exactly. So you having cold brew is, like... Yeah. A peek into the world. So (laughs) basically, I lived it. Essentially, I lived it. So you love this movie. I love this movie. When people ask me my favorite movie, I still say this one in my top favorite movies. It's perfectly crafted, I think. And I'm not even really, I mean, we know that I'm a fan of superhero movies, but outside of that, I'm not really a huge action movie person. That's why I didn't really have any desire to go see this. Mm -hmm. I actually went because like someone I knew in college was really into action movies and she was like, we have to go and she ended up hating it. We don't, we don't trust her taste though. She was, uh, let's say just a little too conservative to fully appreciate it. Mm. I feel like this movie would appeal to just about everyone. Even if you're desensitized and just like action, it's pretty fucking entertaining. Yeah, she, she was upset that they, uh, didn't talk more. (laughs) That's like what people thought of like Dunkirk. I guess, yeah. There were people who didn't like it because there wasn't any character development. But I mean, even this movie does even better than Dunkirk is it doesn't require a lot of dialogue to further these characters. I mean, neither did Dunkirk. Yeah, but this even more so. This does it even better. But they're very different movies. I have to admit, this is one of the best modern blockbusters I've ever seen. It's crazy because when it first came out, it was, again, it wasn't advertised well. It was kind of assumed that the only people who were going to go see it were people who 
like action movies or who had seen the original Mad Max movies. And those movies weren't really in the forefront. No. I, they obviously have their fans, but nowhere near a lot of other established properties. It's not properties. like a Star Wars, you know? No, like, yeah. It was a big franchise. Kind of a forgotten like... weird relic of the 80s. It's a concept that you'd think would have been mined enough already, but holy shit, this is a whole other level. Yeah. Let's just get into it. So I think the biggest point coming out of it is just the way George Miller directs action and action set pieces and stunts and holy shit. (laughs) It's a lot of practical stunt work, I believe. I think I saw a lot of behind the scenes videos and most of it was pretty much there and just enhanced by color correction and minimal, minimal CGI. Yeah. Actual insane men on stilts and playing guitars on monster bugs, yep. I guess. A hell derby. They just made <laughs> these cars and drove them around the Nambian desert for three months. Which you think would sound fun, but it sounds like, from what the actor said, was a fucking nightmare. I've learned quite a bit about these films in my four years now of obsessing over it. But yeah, I mean, first of all, you're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. For extended periods of time, they filmed for something like, I think it was upwards of like 60 days, maybe. It might have been more actually like straight of filming. On one hand, you have people who are doing these insane stunts and having to man these rigs and it's freaking hot out and sandy and terrible. Yeah, temperature extreme Temperature extremes, yeah. So the like... one the one thing that I really remember was an interview with one of the wives and it was just like, I mean, they're just wrapped in gauze essentially yeah. like, for the entirety of the film. And even though it might look like it's consistently hot out, there were days where it was very, very low temperatures and they have to walk around and act, douse themselves in water and like all this kind of stuff in extreme cold. There was rumors for a long time and gossip and shit about Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron didn't get along mm-hmm. on set and they hated each other and it was very gossipy. But I mean, I don't think I'd like anyone walking away from that. Being in that situation would just push you to the edge, especially if you already have maybe a conflict yeah. of personality with someone i mean they're both dedicated performers on their own very different but even the most professional out there yeah obviously can't take something like this or they can and then they probably never want to do it again yeah holy shit that's all like i don't even have (laughs) words like i'm just kind of in shock visually it's 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 challenging because when you first see it, I wouldn't say that it is stunning, but not in a way that's like, oh, it's beautiful. But it is beautiful in a way. There's a lot of shots that In a way, when you get over the Mm -hmm. intensity of it all and how nightmarish it would be to be in those scenarios, Mm -hmm. regardless of how gorgeous shots could be, just imagine the sand and the heat and... Well, and that's what George Miller does so well is you feel it. Every yeah. grain of sand, the flames, yeah. it's so I immersive. I felt every moment of Babe. Every moment. Stop. <laughs> Sorry. It definitely brings you as close to being in this hellscape as you can while sitting in the comfort of your own home yeah. or a movie theater. It's also amazing. It's so chaotic and it feels so out of control, but at the same time, it feels so crafted and mm-hmm. every shot, every direction, every bit of choreography feels intentional. Yeah. It's it's amazing controlled chaos yeah. in that way. Any other director, it would have you would have just felt lost yeah. if they tried to attempt this, but I think the way George Miller just crafted every aspect. 
I think that the practical effects really play into that as well. Working with exactly what you're going to see on screen, mm -hmm. where it's kind of like you actually have this army of cars that you have had hand in crafting. And like, there's a connection to the scene that doesn't have to be interpreted through the computer. Through it doesn't yeah, yeah, have yeah, to yeah. like go through a whole nother process to get having to the, the end point. Having the real things there makes us viewers connect with it more. Yeah. And it also adds limitations for the filmmakers. Well, we literally can't do that or either because it's impossible or it's going to put all these people's lives at risk. So those limitations make it feel one that much more real and mm -hmm. also whenever they do pull something off it's that much more thrilling because it's yeah. like holy shit i can't believe they did that well you said in while we were watching you were like i'm shocked no one died on yeah. this set and then you looked up the comment from one of the stunt coordinators it was like, the yeah it was the main stunt coordinator who was essentially saying like yeah there are a lot of close calls but we just kind of laugh it off and made a joke at the end of the interview that was like i mean i'd love to go this way i'd love to have died on <laughs> riding through the desert in one of these cars that's the way i'd want to go which just also speaks, I think, to the insanity of most of the people with creative control on this project. Yeah. Um, I think they're a little unhinged <laughs> to a point. Obviously nuts. Yeah, <laughs> to conceptualize all of it. Because it's so much more than just the intense processes of getting this army of cars together and the battles mm -hmm. and all of that. There's the chaos of the whole world that they built and the culture and the people who are That's like what's, also yeah. unhinged. It's one thing to make an incredible action movie, but it's also another thing to make such a fully established and realized fictional world. Mm -hmm. Everything's been thought out. Apart from the action, the way they tell a story, we yeah. kind of mentioned it previously, the fact that there's such little dialogue. It's very nonverbal, especially with Max's character. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an action-driven movie. Yeah, things are pretty snipped and command-oriented for the mm -hmm. most part. There's not a ton of processing through anything mm -hmm. or and when you do get those moments, anything. when you get those moments, they feel that much more weighted. You can feel the intention in those moments when characters are allowed to breathe and process. It also taxed the filmmakers in general with really having to tell the story visually, mm -hmm. which is another reason why I think it's so strong. We couldn't sit through an extra 15 to 20 minutes explaining everything that's happened, explaining why the Citadel is set up the way it is. Well, and that's, why uh, yeah, that just goes to show and... why it's such a strong film and why he's such a good storyteller in this medium in that He's able to show you the story and the world through purely visuals as opposed to someone spewing it out in dialogue. Like, exactly. Just, it requires one to two shots and you already understand what's yeah. going on. I mean, to be fair, also, it did take me many viewings of it, and I've watched this movie a lot to hone in on a lot of the details, because again, yeah. they built an entire world with a history mm -hmm. and all of this kind of stuff, and they did it exceptionally well. So there's a lot that's not going to be seen on the Well, it's first like you notice the, the mirror that they, they right. jerry-rigged. Like. Yeah, right. So there's a scene where they shoot out one of the mirrors and it's like a big deal. And then later on, you just see a really beautiful silver hand mirror strapped on to where mm -hmm. the mirror was shot off. There's just little details like that. Or I didn't notice that uh, Cheeto, one of the wives in the final battle scene, she took off her headband before she went and tried to convince Rictus to like take her back tons of stuff symbolically going on oh, so it yeah. really takes many viewings to dig into it and i doubt i have it all something i really liked was so many 
action movies, so many blockbusters today are so desaturated and yeah. so toned. Like we just got done watching the Marvel movies and that was mm-hmm. a big gripe I had with those is a lot of them are so stripped away of any vibrancy. Mm-hmm. And this, the saturation levels on this. I think that it's a fear that's taken hold of filmmaking, especially in the past decade, I would say, maybe 20 years, but especially the last decade, things get more and more muted because having things being super vibrant is associated with a being cheap or mm-hmm. poorly done. There's also the strive for extreme realism right and so much of this movie not just the color but the way it's shot the way it's edited Mm -hmm. like the scene when they're going through just the fucking like storm landscape yeah and every time there's lightning strikes it just quickly switches back and forth between full black and white and Mm -hmm. full color that's not how lightning works right but it's a creative choice that's, although it's unrealistic, has a certain emotional effect on you. Even in the first kind of cave scene, and you guys were like, is this supposed to look this way? Because the frame rate is yeah. like, it's not your usual 24 frames per second. It's bumped up so that it looks really jittery. Mm-hmm. and Super chaotic. And, yeah, yeah, that is not conventional filmmaking technique Mm -mm. no one would encourage you (laughs) to do that like there's weird uses of slow-mo and it's not even traditional slow-mo i mean there is a lot of that whenever he's having a hallucination you'll have blinking lights and then you'll have overlays of skulls it's very hokey in moments not in a bad way it's weird it's so much of this movie uses a lot of what many feel are outdated creative choices on so many levels but i think that's just because it's george miller and he's such an established director and he's been working in the business for so long that it's him bringing his own creative sensibilities that he's used over the years but Mm -hmm. enhanced through better technology obviously with just even the cameras but like also the added effect of minimal cgi but cgi nonetheless also, it's important to recognize that these were and continue to be effective techniques, even yeah. though they're not seen as the most sophisticated. They're not fashionable. They're not the most popular now, which is why I think they work so well, because it's also one of those things where you bring back something that you don't see very often mm-hmm. anymore. If this was something and that you, you reinvent saw... reinvent it in a yeah, way. Yeah. If this was kind of like something that we saw a lot, where it was like, oh, we always see high frame rates for intense action sequences. Mm-hmm. We always see these intense hallucination situations. It would be very outdated. It just goes to show that realism, I think there is a place for realism in movies Mm -hmm. and different genres or the way you shoot action has a certain effect, but it's not the end all be all. No. And I think the whole point of having these particular stylistic choices is to feed into a chaotic experience, Mm -hmm. an intense visceral experience. We don't want it to be realistic necessarily Mm -hmm. because it's hell. You want to feel transported. This is hell. Make it look like hell. Make it feel like hell. Rounding out all the way back to the color conversation though, I mean, it is... The saturation is another one of those things that makes... Again, this film's, like, challenging to watch in a way, visually speaking. Yeah. For me, the color design of this film is, like, one of its key points. The orange-blue combination. First of all, With the really... jarring use of green every once in a while. Yeah. Very so... sparingly. And then, for the most part, it's blacks and grays. Yeah. But both of those colors, especially at the saturation they're at, are tiring for your eyes. And especially when they're together because they're so close to being in complete contrast with each other. Mm -hmm. If you look at so many modern movie posters, it's orange and blue. That's Mm -hmm. always the two color codes that they use 
Because yeah. it attracts the eye. Yeah. And the way you that pointed that out. Now I can't unsee it. So to use it throughout an entire movie and to have it so, and you know, the vibrancy's so, up, the saturation's up in your sickly. face. It makes you yeah. anxious. I'm not kidding. Like physiologically speaking, it's challenging to watch something like that mm-hmm. and to have those colors so in your face. What I'm getting with this is that it's interesting because another equally lauded version of this is actually in black and white. Yeah. And I've never seen the I'm black and white about version. It, yeah. I'm super curious about it. It's not even a film that I would think to no. put in black and white. No, and I can understand because I've seen promotional photographs that are in the style that they use. And I can see why it would work. In the same way that the orange and the blue can be really exhausting to watch, it could be equally exhausting to only have black and white, especially with visuals that are this Mm -hmm. chaotic and with so much detail. So in some points it might take away, maybe, I guess, from the landscape shots. But the action sequences, when you can't even necessarily discern quite as well using color, what's going on. It has more to do whenever you turn into black and white with the lighting choices. And I'd be curious how watching it in black and white would enhance those. Yeah. Because obviously that distinction would just create a whole different visual experience as a whole. Yeah. I mean, and the lighting is obviously gorgeous in this film and beautifully done and intentionally done, but yeah, it shares its limelight with the color Mm -hmm. design of the film. So yeah, I'm really interested. I'd love to see it in black and white and see how that translates. The way you light it, with high contrast, I yeah. think lends itself more to black and white because you show a black and white movie with less contrast, it's so washed out. Right. So I'm, yeah, and I'm very, very curious to see what that looks like. It would not be stripped again. It's like an Instagram filter that went too dark. That's kind of like the style that's going for. It's not like an mm-hmm. old black and white movie. Well, it is similar to some Intensive. black and white movies where that it would have to deal with a lot of the limitations of that medium. Like so many black and white movies from like, say, the 40s or 30s wouldn't work in color and were shot specifically for black and white. So I'm curious to know if the black and white choice, if that was in mind when they were actually shooting the film because if that's the case then i think the movie was probably made for either or it's or if he literally edited two different films and i mean i would assume because obviously the film wasn't shot twice you know this is the same it's the same footage and everything but based on what i know about how black and white movies were designed Mm -hmm. in terms of the colors they used to dress certain characters it would have had to been something that would dealt more with the editing side Mm -hmm. in terms of making it visually appealing and equally as intense in black and white after the fact. Mm. I mean, for those who don't know, but like black and white, it was kind of like you use certain shades and certain color choices and costuming choices and all this kind of stuff in order to like like achieve certain things. Yeah, the thing, the piece that I think of immediately is like the Addams Family, the original TV show. You would think that the house and everything around it they would just kind of make somewhat grayscale on its own yeah, to get that effect. But if you actually see color pictures of the house, yeah. it's all these weird bright pinks and greens and these distinctive color choices yeah. to get the actual effect whenever it transitions to the black and white. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I think of is Psycho, where they use mm, like mm-hmm. chocolate syrup, yeah. wasn't it, to for the blood in that scene? Because fake blood and like red substances didn't show up yep. in a way that looked believable. So it's crazy. All Like the way that black and white movies were designed prior to filming and in order to achieve these mm-hmm. like visual experiences is really interesting. It's fun. Look it's fun. into it. Very cool. <laughs> but yeah. No, it's just kind of funny because it's like... 
things no one has to deal with anymore. Yeah. And when you do, it's now a creative choice. But I would imagine that based on what we're seeing, this was not something that would have been designed in the classic no, concepts no, no, of no. like, this is how we're going to design for black and white. That changes when you're working with digital. I, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. yeah. I never really thought about it. I just assumed it would just work out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a very naive way See, of thinking about film it. Film school didn't suck. It did suck, but we learned things. <laughs> very useful thing. Just because we're just going to go on a roll of like everything they did correctly. The, so um, everything. Yeah, exactly. The amount of detail that went into the various scene designs mm-hmm. and all of the different cars and rigs. Incredible. Well, I love Incredible how, like, stuff. They answered a lot of logistical questions of like, how does this world work? How mm-hmm. What would happen in this situation? And they answered them through ways that actually progressed the plot yeah. and the events. The scene that I thought of was whenever the war rigs like grill dropped to the ground mm-hmm. and pushed up sand onto the dashboard in the event of fire mm-hmm. or like how Nux got on the front and started spitting water into the fucking exhaust pipes to cool the engine down. Yeah. I love how they still haven't figured out a different way of getting a truck out of mud. Well, it's not like this is a progress society. I just, I just <laughs> yeah. love how they have it. They're I mean, you grassroots. Like, they're just making shit up. <laughs> I mean, like go. maybe like you could create it. I don't know contraption. Well, I they just... have, they have. Okay, so the cord that they use to hook the war rig up to the tree goes back into the car like mm-hmm. a uh, vacuum cleaner. Yeah, like it just goes. Sucks yeah, back and then like. The scene earlier that we were talking about, the really insane scene in the cave, and whenever X kind of jumps out to the ledge side, like, those doors are just van doors on the side of a fucking cliff face. Yeah. Just weird little details like that. Mm -hmm. They just think of everything. Yeah, the level of detail is incredible. It's equally overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, like... And And it's funny because... Movies like this, like, set in these kind of barren wastelands, I feel like it would be very easy to go sparse when Mm -hmm. it comes to this world building stuff. It's so full of detail and craftsmanship. Yeah. I think craftsmanship is probably the the right word here. It's not the same aesthetic, but it reminds me so much of, like, steampunk. Yeah. Just, like, constructing new shit out of bits and bobs. What it reminds me of, funnily enough, is Jim Henson movies like The Dark Crystal or, like, Labyrinth. The swamp scene and what used to be the green place with those guys on these jerry-rigged stilts remind me of, like, the Skeksis from The Dark Crystal or, like... It's just so, just weird bits and bobs is what you've made your entire world out of. You could literally stop any frame in this film and have 200 things to break down. just the interior of the war rig. Yeah. has so much to look at. They're just pulling stuff out from here and there. Yeah. It's insane. The uh, warlords, in terms of their costuming. Oh my God. Is a wild shit. I mean, most, so most of the people are like wearing found clothes. Mm -hmm. The war boys kind of have a uniform of sorts and a very specific look about them. But they're still mostly makeup and such. I mean, they're... The wives are just in their gauze. Yeah. Furiosa has a lot more design in terms of the Imperator belt with Mm -hmm. the symbol on it and like chains that hang off of it. She has her arm strap with belts that hook around her Her arm itself but nothing about it really reaches the level of the warlords Mm -hmm. 
with I Joe mean, or the people from Gastown. Or... Yeah, I mean, the bullet farmer had a powdered wig of bullets that he was wearing <laughs> for the majority of his time on screen. Mm-hmm. So it's just madness. Absolute madness. You, again... The weird nipple clamps. Yeah. Fuck. No, yeah. The Gastown guy was, first of all, like in a suit, no shoes on. Had the biggest feet. They're like elephant feet. It was scary. And he was wearing nipple clamps with his suit cut out to show them. He had on like a nose necklace. You look at like <laughs> weird medieval prosthetics. Yeah. Like it was a very gaudy, it looked like a prosthetic nose essentially. Yeah. But like very gaudy and with metal work and Joe though. Joe is, cl- yeah, okay. And Joe had the most insane get up out of all of them. Because Joe was the essential. shot before he got fully clothed and like the kid was just throwing like talcum powder on his nasty ass sword back. <laughs> He's Disgusting. I'm very curious what under the mask looked like before they just ripped it out. Like yeah, we yeah. saw it. We, well, we I guess well, we kind of, but like it's all bloody it. and like yeah. Like what? No, 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 no. Well, in, the actor the is not as heinous as a Morton Joe. I in the like beginning, to, he put standard it standard old white guy. <laughs> in the beginning, he put it on. Mm. You kind of see him. You you vaguely see him. I think. I mean, obviously he has like respiratory issues because there's a whole nother faction of medically what's going on with everyone the around here. Can- yeah. Everyone has, I don't even know. I mean, there's obviously cancer, but it clearly there's some other shit going on that yeah. like they need to be hooked up to human blood donors at all yeah. times and crazy shit. But yeah, Joe clearly has respiratory problems because he's like breathing out of the back of his neck. Mm-hmm. And he's got this weird sack, I guess, that it's just fills up. Like he's disgusting. It's also so, just on like a design level, is brilliant. Yeah. Like he's so, there's so much going on, but it never feels like too much. It's such a realized. His like metals are made of bottle caps. And like the fact that it's like this weird clear bodysuit. A clear bodysuit that has abs on it. Yeah. Shaped for the very fit person, mm-hmm. but he's clearly disgusting. Yeah. And you can see through it. Not so to mention the mask. The mask Ugh. is horrifying. With the fucking human and teeth. It's attached to his body. Because mm-hmm. that's how he dies. Is that like that is actually like a part of his face mm-hmm. and neck. Jesus. <laughs> He's a fucking mess. He's a nightmare. Not to mention his children. Uh, nightmare. Oh, his children are but nightmares no, like, too. Yeah. Just the design in general of the costuming, the make. Everything how, is so well realized. How is anyone alive? Medically speaking, there were doctors, really. It didn't seem. Well, it kind of seems like most people are prone to the multitude like, of diseases yeah. and disorders have now arisen from. Because uh, obviously there's the shot at the beginning of nuclear tests and blasts. In the old Mad Max films, it had dealt a lot with overuse of yeah. fossil fuels and all Pollution that kind of stuff. But then it was like. Actual nuclear war. Nuclear war. And, and yeah. yeah, exactly. But obviously, in a way that kind of like a zombie movie does, there seems to be people who are prone to not fall to these diseases, like Max, like most of the wives. like All the pe- wives. Yeah, all the yeah. wives were completely... I mean, that's why they were coveted mm-hmm. by Joe, is because they were healthy and the... They con- would produce offspring on like... I don't know why he thought that his gross ass was going to yeah, produce healthy well, I mean, offspring. Not to mention... This is a thing we'll get in more, but like the weird worship of personality surrounding him, even though he's disgusting, but like this facade of a holy, it's weird. He's vile. You have to see it so many times to really like process through mm-hmm. everything they seem to put it. I mean, 
oh my gosh, the war boy like cave with the steering wheels. Mm-hmm. Because the steering wheels are also protected and sacred They're in a way. Relics, yeah. Yeah, because you bring them with you. You can't drive a car unless you have the wheel to it. Mm-hmm. It's really brilliantly thought out in yeah. a way that only someone who had the potential to be a criminal mastermind like probably should have thought out. So the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, which is the film itself, before we really dive into the characters, is how this film uses a specific genre in this kind of post-apocalyptic world mm-hmm. that even, in, like you said, the previous films were far more focused on kind of an environmental tale, like the story mm-hmm. of how humanity ruins its physical world. And there's obviously touches of that within here but it uses that genre and those tropes to tell a whole other story of gender and female empowerment those kind of dynamics Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i think that action films really don't lend themselves to that narrative very easily especially Mm -mm. in the way that it's executed here at least the tradition of action movies i think there's potential obviously right absolutely it just hasn't really been something that's taken advantage yeah. of. Part of the reason this film is so popular is first of all it's brilliantly done but also it was a out of left field like incredible feminist film yeah. and in a way that isn't predictable. Films that center around female characters revolve around kind of the question of female leads and what that looks like and how like a single character can really embody a particular idea mm-hmm. like a you know and like rise up and like I mean it's the whole Mm -hmm. conversation around like female superheroes and it's a valid one but this does a completely different thing where it's a story of female rebellion Mm -hmm. when women are pushed to like the absolute brink this is the worst possible scenario and also what it looks like for women to overpower the world that they're currently existing in and it talks a lot about like what it takes to do that it also goes to the heart of the role of hope Mm-hmm. in the movie and I think the way most of the characters interpret it at first is finding hope in intangible things mm-hmm. in the same way I think a lot of people do with religion mm-hmm. and you have to find hope in things of like a higher power for the people at the citadel it's the power of water and the power that Joe holds for the wives and Furiosa it's hope in the green place and something better mm-hmm. but And then obviously Max is someone who's desensitized and who's completely lost hope and sees nothing but hypocrisy and the idea of hope and to an extent religion, I think. And how as the film progresses, it's less about finding hope in those ideals, these lofty ideals, and more about making hope using your own agency, whether it's through this lens of gender or not, Mm -hmm. but finding hope and making hope through your own actions and taking your own destiny in your own hands to make a better world. This film deals with a lot of different things. Outside of just gender, you also have issues of commodification and class and like all of these other things that are built into this hell society that everyone is living in under Joe and under like the other rulers and just in general. The world that we start with is what would happen if humanity was faced with the worst crisis imaginable and it fell to its worst instincts. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the end, it's the characters deciding that what humanity is, is standing in the face of your worst instincts. Yeah. To make something better. I guess not running away from the reality of things Mm -hmm. is really kind of like the main 
issue. Complacency, yeah. It's not about running towards something else. It's about changing what's already around you. Mm-hmm. And it's a far more aggressive approach to things than what was originally taken by Furious and the Wise, where they were going to get out quietly and they were going to go to the green place and they were going to live there and it was going to be peaceful and all this kind of stuff. And that's just, that's not the reality that you live in. There is no other place. There is no Mm -hmm. better world out there for you to find. You have to make it. Yeah. And yet we still have this, the world we're given in Mad Max feels like a world that's too far gone. Absolutely. And yet... They still make the decision to try to make that better. And this is why it's such an interesting feminist movie, because there's a lot of layers in terms of understanding the place of the female characters and like understanding their intentions. So it makes sense for these women who are enslaved and for Furiosa who was kidnapped and enslaved to want to run away Mm -hmm. to somewhere better. Yeah. Because the world has treated them so harshly. They are absolutely the most imprisoned in this idea that there's nothing they can do. And it's visually told as well. They look and are depicted as being very vulnerable. They're not wearing any clothing. When you first see them, they're wearing those horrific chastity belts with like Mm -hmm. teeth on them. And it reaches a point where, yeah, they have to become tough and violent. Not so much that they weren't tough before, but the fact that they have to meet the world where it is and take on what they've already been told so often that they can't change, which is Morton Joe and the Mm -hmm. war boys and the culture that they are existing in and they have to destroy it. Yeah just them i remember you guys even said it was kind of like oh like how are they gonna do that three armies of it's seemingly evil insurmountable out there and it's not to say that obviously the wives themselves are kind of depicted just on a visual level as mm-hmm. very vulnerable mm-hmm. but even apart from them furiosa is a badass the oh, yeah. um the many mothers are fucking like yeah old lady biker gang yeah you still have nux there you have max there like yeah. it's not like they're they're not completely vulnerable. But and even the, in the face of that. a horde of warlords, like, yeah, there's seemingly no competition. Yeah. And I mean, that's, again, another layer of why it's so interesting from that perspective, because it is kind of really emphasizing, at least for women, the importance of the collective, mm-hmm. because you can have these characters who individually are very powerful, are very strong, but can't do anything individually in terms of like large scale overthrow. Obviously they can do things. The wives orchestrated this entire escape. They understand this is wrong. We are not your property. You murdered the earth. You're murdering our children. Really all the fears that people have and you hear nowadays, it's just kind of pushed to 900 and really depicts like what that could end up looking like. All right, so you have this biker gang of women who are all badass and super cool and planting seeds and everything, but it never really grows outside of that. Furiosa can't do things single-handedly. None Mm -hmm. of them can. The only way that can be achieved is if they all work together. And also they make sacrifices, which is another thing that you see in terms of like a lot of the mothers dying and Furiosa getting fucked up and... Well, and one of the wives, the pregnant wife, I don't know if she had a Oh. Yeah, uh, Splendid. Yeah, Splendid died. And she was the mastermind behind it all. She was the one who was really dedicated to her beliefs about why they need to escape and what was wrong with the Citadel and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and sacrifices had to be made and it did have to turn into a confrontation. Basically, basically the whole moral of it ended up being you can't run to peace, you have to make it. And you need it as a group, as a collective. Yeah, yeah. Um, you need to do it together. 
Yeah. And you need to recognize that it's not going to be easy Mm -mm. or simple. Not that I expect any of those characters to believe it would be easy or simple. It's such a layered film in that way. It is so interesting the way they intertwine femininity and motherhood and a connection to earth and kind of how that's been ravaged and destroyed at the hands of these like vile men Mm -hmm. just really seeing it exemplified in these female characters you have the mothers who have had to turn into these really like tough hardened older but are still nourishing life through little potted plants exactly Yeah. yeah or you know Furiosa, who had to become a warrior for the the sole purpose of getting back to the green place. 25, 30 years of her life that she's dedicated to this. Who knew what else she had to do in service to Joe? Right. Things we haven't seen. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of questions around that. There are a lot of theories about it. Like there are theories that prior to her losing her arm, she was one of the wives, that her mother was kidnapped to be a wife. It's a fascinating balance between a lot of different trains of thought in mm-hmm. a film that easily could have just stuck with a pretty one note lesson in favor of overall action and carnage. Mm-hmm. And yet it's able to aptly like balance all these different trains of thought and mm-hmm. bring them to thoughtful conclusions. It's artfully done. Getting into the specifics of character, let's get into our main villains with Joe and the warlords and that whole crowd at the Citadel. Faction. The folks that have fucked everything up and continue to fuck everything up. That's not to say that like these characters are meant to be the ones who cause this apocalypse. No, but it's characters like like them. Yeah, exactly. That set it into motion and they're the ones that are continuing the toxic cycle that isn't making it. And continuing to profit off of it. Exactly. Even in the face of this mass destruction of the earth, and everything at the hands of commodification and capitalism and toxic patriarchal values. Mm -hmm. Like they're continuing to utilize those same ideals in this post-apocalyptic world as though that's going to change anything. But then again, they don't necessarily want anything to change. They're kind of like cockroaches, guys like this, where it's like they'll always find their spaces to continue to be on top somehow. And and to an extension, it's always the responsibility of better people to put a stop to it. It's either you're complacent to it, kind of like Max is, Mm -hmm. or you make decisions to stand in the face of it like everyone else in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Earlier in our conversation, just the way they look, like they're not, they're physically intimidating in that they're repulsive. Yeah. But that's Like I don't want them near me. But it... No, thank you. Can you imagine what they smell like? Ew. Jesus. No, no, no. But the fact that the reason they're intimidating is the way they're able to manipulate people on an emotional level through... Control. Control. Essentially. And because of that control through strange kind of like religious belief, like the way that Nux and the rest of them have garnered this like cult of personality around uh, Joe. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it clearly all started with the reality that Joe somehow is able to seize power of the Citadel, which is a natural resource. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he has access to all of this water and claimed it all for himself, claimed everything that comes from that water and himself. His family and, yeah. Yeah, 
Exactly. In the same way that probably the rest of the warlords have control of, say, the oil or the weapons or mm-hmm. what have you. Exactly. Yeah. So there's just these little pockets that these men hold power over and are able to control. And from that, they're able to then garner following of sorts. Mm-hmm. Because it's, th- especially I think with Joe, and I think that's why the choice was to have Joe in charge of like water versus something like oil or bullets because it's something that is so desperately needed. Well, in a way it's like he represents the giving of life, Mm -hmm. both in the water and also in nasty, but like the mother's milk and the fact that he's producing children and as opposed to the other warlords who are creating modes of transportation, modes of death. Yeah. What have you? Like he symbolizes as disgusting as he is life to these people. Right, exactly. And he takes advantage of that. Yeah. Like... He uses his power over these resources and the fact that he has control over things that are so needed and to a point desired, I guess. Mostly needed, though. Like, you need children to continue a population. Like, you need... You need nourishment. You you need need hydration. Yeah, exactly. Like, you need all of these things. It's not about want, necessarily, but there is a level of it. And he treats it as a luxury. Like Mm -hmm. he tells them, like when he gives them water, he's like, don't be addicted to it or you will regret when it's gone or you will, you'll want it when it's gone as though it's a luxury. It directly mirrors the existence we're kind of living in. Like Mm -hmm. the people that control medicine, for example, the whole pharmaceutical industry, like those people don't have your best interest at heart. Those people have your wallets they want you to be more sick yeah. So that you can rely on them more and they can get rich off you. Yeah. And it kind of relates to like the decision that Furiosa and all of our heroes have to come to is like the people in charge are never going to really care about you. You have to advocate for yourself and the people around you. Yeah. People in power are in power for a reason. Yeah. And that's for power and control. Right. So they can be comfortable. Yeah, and it's an interesting flip-flop when you do get the women of the story taking power because yep. that's a power that is resembling an overthrow of kind of that uh, concept of like the reason someone's in power is because they want something or, you know, they seek control. They seek all these kind of things where it's really showing the potential for this different understanding Mm -hmm. of holding and distributing power, which is essentially like this collective of women who are going to rise up and give back to the community Mm -hmm. and, you know, build something better and greater and healthier. What's interesting also about that final scene, it is so obvious that this rebellion and resentment and anger was existing, even if we didn't see it at first. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you see like the celebration of the people when Joe is dead. They're like ripping his body apart, like stealing his stuff, celebrating his death. The milk mothers i don't know yes (laughs) let all the water out they just open the waterfalls the children take control and they you know allow furiosa and the mother and the wives come back up it's something it's always been there it's just like the masses are trained into the sense of complacency and like subservience because they're told that so much yeah they're told they don't have direct access to these things yeah and the minute that's stripped away it's pretty stunning how many people are actually there when it's really only one person telling them these things. It's like, just look around. You can see that there's power in numbers. and Yeah. 
I mean, it's also a level of fear. I mean, the fear of what if this is taken away from us? Like, what if we fail? What if we're wrong? And something like water is taken. With the example of like pharmaceuticals, like what if the accident, what if things get worse because Mm -hmm. of this action? So it's understandable why there was a lot oh, yeah. of like disinterest, I guess, in mm-hmm. rebellion. But it just takes a small few to show that there's other options. That there's, yeah, like you said, the dichotomy isn't the only thing. Yeah, absolutely not. I think that also in terms of the religion that's set up, that was a very powerful tool for the war boys specifically. It doesn't necessarily seem to reach everyone in the same way no. so um well, what it is it's it's the war boys right it's a very like masculine focused kind of philosophy that joe has brewed to reach into this kind of toxic center and it's very nazi youth it's yeah very, it's yeah. like if you do this you're going to be praised for your actions it's right. about creating a weird legacy argument about Mm -hmm. an individual as opposed to the collective. Which is weird that they use, like, we kind of talk about it with Thor, like, um, they use, like, Norse and uh, Viking mythology, and those societies weren't really like that at all. They were very community-based. They were much more equitable as far as the gender dynamics. Like, it's a perversion of... Oh, absolutely. And it's definitely, I'm sure it goes into, like, a level of, like, adding um, kind of, like, a white western worship Mm, aspect mm -hmm. to it where it's kind of like yeah if morton joe is going to choose a religion to emulate obviously it's going to be something that's violent and predominantly white because like what else is he going to choose so i think vikings are a very easy fallback for that kind of conceptualization not that necessarily the vikings were white supremacists but i think that it's something that yeah i don't think vikings have cultural idea yeah i'm not sure it really got there Um, but but no it's just once again it it's like people in power perverting actual history and mythology and culture for their own means exactly and there are very clear rituals surrounding it i think the worship of the vehicles and the cars Mm -hmm. is so interesting and how deeply because like uh, it's obvious i mean the whole movie is essentially like i said like a hell derby but like it's really ingrained. Like they spray like silver spray paint on their teeth when they're about to die as like a symbol of them, like becoming metal, like becoming Mm -hmm. their vehicles essentially. Like the tower of the steering wheels and the fact you have to like earn it and take it and use it in a very particular scenario. It's weird. It's, it is very Viking warrior ish Mm -hmm. and like the the spray thing i think of like berserker warriors and Mm -hmm. like them getting high off stuff to become better fighters at any cost or like you say with the steering wheels it's more of like a warrior's relationship to their weapon in a way like it's like everyone names their sword or like their Mm -hmm. swords have family histories it's the same with the steering wheels yeah or the the v8 they yeah, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. v8 mm-hmm. sign with their hands and all that kind of stuff another really interesting thing that doesn't necessarily tie in with anything in particular except maybe kind of like the lifespan ex- or life expectancy of a lot of these people is the the symbols around death are really interesting uh, additions you have two different ones there's the witness me and then there's the grabbing of the soul and bringing it back the war boys, when they're about to die, when they're about to do something sacrificial or whatever, they point and they say, witness me. Mm. And the people around them say, like, witness. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Witness. Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, kind of the individualized 
understanding of like one's place where it's kind of like you need people around you to see you and like recognize witness, me, witness my accomplishment yeah, yeah witness what the you're glory about to do of my death. Yeah. yeah the second one is the one used by the many mothers where when someone dies or they're remembering someone who's died they kind of make this grasping hand motion in the air yeah, and then they yeah, bring yeah, it yeah. back to your chest to your heart which is just kind of like catching the soul and bringing it back I mean, it shows the contrasting yeah. kind of um, choices in the way you're going to view everyone around you is how do you, how are you going to remember me as opposed to how am I going to remember you and the mm-hmm. collective? It's like, yeah, for the many mothers, it's everyone is one mm-hmm. as opposed to we're all these individual warriors. And it's all about our own legacies yeah. as individuals. It's really beautiful when it is kind of used, the two are used as like a response. Cause it's really easy yeah. to see those as being like yeah. contrasted with each other where it's like witness me, like, you know, like see me, you know, see my death, pay attention basically versus like remembrance. Mm-hmm. Because when Nux makes his final sacrifice, he points and says, witness me. And the wife kind of like grabs yeah. at the air and like yeah. brings him back. There's value. I see, I guess. In yeah, some it's of a these balance. kind of things it's where it's like, you know, with the witness me thing, like, yeah, it's breeded as this kind of, like, something that makes it easier for soldiers to die, mm-hmm. it, like, allow themselves to, like, make these sacrifices to take these kind of, like, rash actions in service to a Morton Joe. But it, you have to recognize that, like, for these boys, it really is something that they internalize mm-hmm. and that they understand as being, like pure in a lot of ways and in some moments it is a way that they build community among themselves Mm -hmm. as like toxic and fucked up as this culture is like there was something a little not heartwarming but like there's a familiarity whenever nux makes the decision to leave for the first time and Mm -hmm. he's met with like no you're about you're gonna die like there's no use to doing this and when he finally shows that he's able to do that like the power within himself like there's Mm -hmm. a sort of respect and yeah. kindredness that he finds among his other it's, war boys. Again, it's another layer of kind of like the the beautiful feminist tapestry that this film is. But it's interesting to have kind of something that is created as this perverse, toxically masculine symbol responded to with something that is more nurturing and communal. Yeah. And communal. Because essentially the response is like Nux is asking the wife to like see him and like to remember him and she's saying that she will versus like everything about witness me is just like see what I'm doing in the moment see what I Mm -hmm. see my death versus like I'm going to remember what it is and I'm going to remember what you did yeah I'm gonna remember you so valuable valuable yeah yeah it's beautiful when it yeah Yeah, it's gorgeous (laughs) the other facet of Immortan Joe and the warlords that is um not unexpected but just as disgusting is just to really kind of like see behind the scenes of just kind of like how gross he is Mm -hmm. especially with the wives i mean clearly what he's doing in terms of like withholding resources from the people is horrible and everything but it really becomes kind of like more pointed when it comes to the wives and everything they go through well, and his and, the mass sexual violence that yeah, he's committing yeah exactly yeah. exactly and has been committing yeah. for decades 
You I mean, know? for all we know, probably before all the shit hit the fan. Oh, seeing how old he is. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And he has like he has sons that are still alive. Assumably, he's had other children that have not made it. Mm. This fact that they're referred to as breeders, like his treasures, which also seems like a mask, like to perform this like mass sexual mm-hmm. violence of like, oh, I'm gonna create healthy children. It's like your sick ass is gonna create healthy children. He probably knows deep down that that's bullshit but it's a weird like i said a delusion but he's tricked himself into believing that this is his right and that he's been chosen yeah he's he's he he believes his own lie that he's created now yeah absolutely and yeah like uses it as an excuse for all of his actions moving past joe and his whole worldview we have the wives mm-hmm. and their own personal journeys and how they kind of represent this other side this much more feminine energy this uh, gracious healing kind of uh, nourishing side yeah but we have toast <laughs> played by zoe kravitz uh splendid is the heavily pregnant the leader dies, yeah. of the group capable is the redhead who forms a connection with Nux, the dag, the blonde who with, like, makes a connection with the she one of the curses many a lot, like yeah, and then Cheeto's kind of the fragile. She's kind of on the edge. Scene yeah. scene is more fragile. The one who initially wants to go back. I think it's interesting. They're kept out of sight for so long, which I think is a really interesting choice because like we hear about their escape and everything, and that mm-hmm. all happens over the course of like all this time, and we don't really see the wives until later on they're kind of like hidden away like the first time we see them i don't remember who it was one of them comes out from the tanker and but really the first time we're introduced is obviously post chase yeah post storm and they're um (laughs) it's kind of like the transformers movie with uh uh, megan fox but like they're very heavenly and um with the hose and stuff and they're it's actually kind of interesting because i read an analysis about that um scene that's really cool and that like the camera doesn't really like run over their bodies Mm -mm. and stuff in a way that would be expected but it runs over the water in that Mm -hmm. way so it's kind of like seems like okay you have these like gorgeous half-naked women like bathing in the water but the water is the thing that you are paying attention well and that's the thing that max is paying attention to yeah it's the first thing he asks for is water yeah. Um, but that's when we first meet them. Because Max isn't gross. Well, it, but and it directly relates to their whole energy of, like, nourishment and giving life. And, yeah. Uh, assisting and the betterment of life. Yeah. In the same way that water does. They obviously all, as a whole, represent one thing, but it is nice that each of them does have somewhat of a personal journey. Clearly, they are at a very intense point in their lives. Yeah. They just ran away from their captor. They're on this huge chase. It's scary. It's violent. All, it's all these things. But clearly, there's such a story behind like how we got to this point. And assumably, they came to understand that they are not objects, that their children do not belong to this man who's going to just kill them off in war. Mm-hmm. And there's, But they're still 
not all fully at that point. Right. Like, Cheeto. Cheeto. There's Cheeto. a level of fear there because yeah. it's kind of like now they're out in this world and they don't know if it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. It's and not really... conditioning from that mindset that you yeah. need to rely on this guy. The confidence that they have in the very beginning is lost after Splendid dies mm-hmm. because there is... Now that they've lost someone, there is no... It feels like there is no assurance that like things are going to work out the way they imagined. Especially for Cheeto, who tries to run it's back. The first, it's the first moment where their kind of idealized dream begins, begins to kind of crumble. Yeah. Eventually accumulating in uh, the realization that the green place doesn't really exist. Anymore. Yeah. It's really interesting because Splendid was the most actualized, like, from the beginning in terms of character. Yeah. Obviously. She's heavily pregnant. She's I, the one who's, like, convinced them all yeah. to escape. She's in labor, and, like, is just being a full badass. Like, I can't think of any other movie where a pregnant woman is pulling off those stunts. Like, holy shit, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. And, like, gauze, too. She's yeah. just wearing, like, a wrap over... And she's wet over her, like, heavily pregnant stomach. Fucking badass. Yeah, she's... And again, we have this character who's, like, clearly the leader. Clearly the one who's most dedicated to this plan. But inevitably, in doing all of that, she dies, which is a huge blow for pretty much everyone on either side. Because, like, Joe is really torn up about it. You know, all the wives and Furiosa and Max are, you know, trying to handle it. Um, But it's really kind of that point that each of the wives need to start going on their own journeys because it's no longer that they can just follow Splendid's lead. And she really did capture that like confidence and hope. And she was also the one who like, I think there's something to be said about the fact that she was like currently pregnant with a healthy child and like doing all this stuff and saying, we're going to leave and saying, we're going to find this place. And then to lose someone who's doing all of that and who was carrying a child, which is the symbol for this culture as life. The the main goal is to have healthy children and to lose both of that, both of those things at the same time, like her power and confidence and that hope is like huge blow, obviously. Yeah. That was the spark for like each of the wives to go on their own journeys of needing to understand what their purpose was in running away and Mm -hmm. escaping. That wasn't just tied to what Splendid told them. It's interesting to watch the scene when Joe's doctor guy is Mm. trying to deliver the baby. And instead of obviously mourning Splendid, which they wanted, they mourn the unborn child. Mm -hmm. They use that as a tool to garner morale among his soldiers. Like, look at this lost potential of another body that could fight for me. Yeah. And it's startling to kind of see that dichotomy of they mourn the unborn child and the wives not that they don't mourn the unborn child but they mourn the loss of a strong independent woman and how that it just right now in this conversation as a nation that we're having about abortion like that imagery and that contrast was really stark yeah well the dag is also pregnant and i think she makes it pretty clear how she feels about the pregnancies and the children that are born from Mm -hmm. And Morton jokes, she's like, it's like, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Or like, he's going to be so ugly. And it takes like one of the mothers to say, oh, it could be a girl for her to like kind of reconsider it slightly mm-hmm. differently. But yeah, I think it is pretty clear that like the wives don't really mourn the child in the same way Mm-mm. at all. Well, not, first of all, not in the same way, but also not at the same level. No. Because yeah, their loss is splendid who is their sister their sister their leader someone who like despite being pregnant despite having gone through everything she was gone through she was like fucking awesome and it's just like that's 
that's the common sense reaction is we lost this person and yet the overall conversation for those in power is look at the potential that we lost yeah it's not about the actual health of the individual it's about potential for another consumer another fighter another person to die yeah. for my own betterment yeah yeah exactly i mean even with the with that scene where they're taking the child out of her stomach it's like and Morton Joe very clearly asked if it was a boy mm-hmm. because they would not have been as much of a concern if no. it was a girl, assumably, because she doesn't serve the same purpose. She doesn't really serve a purpose to him in any capacity because we see how little he cares for women yeah. in any kind of yeah. way. Haunting. Yeah, very much so. I think another level that maybe speaks to kind of the the rational way to mourn Splendid and the child is more so that she lost yeah. the potential to raise her child mm-hmm. the way that she wanted to, which is really, I think, the spark for everything for her was like, she's heavily pregnant. She's having this child and she doesn't want this child to die. That's what she keeps saying. She's like, our children will not, you know, be mm-hmm. war fodder for you. Our children will not die for you. And that's kind of like the way that... It's a loss of an individual and a loss of that philosophy. Right. And yeah. what that individual wanted and yeah. what that child was going to be for that individual yeah. and as an individual and all these things. So much was lost in Splendid's death that is equal parts kind of like her first of all her wanted child Mm -hmm. which is another important facet of the conversation is that like despite the way that she received the child and was impregnated and everything like her determination was based in the fact that she wanted to get away for that child Mm -hmm. and didn't want it to grow up in the world it was going to versus what we see again with like the war boys and a morton joe where it's kind of we lost this body we lost this boy no regard for everything it meant well it's like the only people who are allowed to have legacy are the men. Mm-hmm. And the only legacy that women are allowed are the men they produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. With the odd exception of Furiosa, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because Furiosa seems to be like the only woman who's really broken away from that, but we'll get into that. Um, but to kind of stem off the legacy thing, the dag is really interesting as far as her own journey in mm-hmm. that what she serves as is a continuation of a lifetime of experience. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the many mothers and her share a pretty tight bond Mm -hmm. and she passes along her knowledge Mm -hmm. as a woman so she can carry it on. It's legacy that isn't just bearing children. Yeah. It's an understanding of an important skill, which is like plants. Like yeah. <laughs> knowing how to create food and nourish yeah. life apart from human beings. Right, exactly. It's interesting too because like even prior to meeting the mothers, the dad showed such a clear connection to like their philosophies mm-hmm. of things or like kind of the way they carry themselves and such like she would be particularly partial to she's kind going of she's foul-mouthed like yeah. she's pretty yeah. blunt and abrasive in the yeah. same way that the many mothers are yeah it's like an adverse parallel to traditional femininity you know? yeah it's un- well, at the same unruly point, women she had her own assumptions about mm-hmm. the mothers she essentially said she didn't think she was going to understand them because she yeah. Uh, was saying like, oh, I thought you girls were above all that. They weren't going to be fighters. Saw them as super nurturing and everything. And now that she's able to find this middle ground where she is to carry on this separate legacy of bringing life back to the world in bringing terms knowledge, of, like lost yeah. knowledge. Yeah, knowledge and also the wealth of food and mm-hmm. plant life and bringing the earth back and farming yeah. to the world yeah. um, in a way that is 
essentially completely lost at this point. Toast's character is also kind of like one of the ones that easily melded into the fray of the mothers and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, outside of Splendid, one of the more capable and independent out of the lot, for sure. Yeah. I mean, she's the one that at the end is pulled directly into the fight by those dudes on the stilts. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was also a very harrowing moment because it's yeah. never super clear what's going on. But there's a shot where she's kind of like pressed up against the window and it looks like there's a there's a potential that it looks like she's being assaulted. Jesus. Yeah. It's not super clear. I don't know whether that super fits in with the narrative surrounding her purpose to a Morton Joe and like mm-hmm. the readers and everything. But the shot is very telling. And it isn't necessarily that she isn't being assaulted in that moment, but it is kind of that same level of fear and desperation. It's the moment that we get to see what they would be returning to. As far as capable story, she and Nux obviously share a close connection. Yeah. And both of their stories are pretty closely tied to... um, Kind of what we're talking about, how there doesn't have to be a dichotomy. There can be understanding of each side, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, really, there needs to be Mm -hmm. to have a healthy society. There's no time totally given to, like, developing exactly what that relationship is. And it's not necessary to do so. But I think that it was important for both of those characters to have found tenderness Mm -hmm. in the world. Something that like both of them have been denied their entire existences. It's completely alien to them. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. But it's also a natural tendency as we see. Yeah. That's what human beings want is emotional attachment and touch. Her story is interesting because she brings us to this point of realizing essentially the world that they currently exist in and the people that currently exist in kind of like this super toxic gross society aren't lost completely. Mm-hmm. And that's seen through Nux and her relationship. And it's also important for her to see that. I mean, cause she was one of the ones who like fully pushed him out of the, van- the yeah. war rig and was like kill him and all this kind of stuff. And now having had this understanding and sharing this, tenderness and experience with one another it was like providing a lens into like what could potentially become of the war boys in this like mm-hmm. new world that they're developing and it's obvious that the war boys have committed atrocities yes but at the same and and they're nowhere near the same but at, at the end of the day they're also victims of joe's lies and manipulation like right they're products of a system that's inherently broken. Mm-hmm. And both Nux and Capable are examples of how to react to that mm-hmm. system. And that's just, it takes a while and it's always going to be there, but it's a process of um, intentional kind of code breaking in a yeah. way. And in the same way that I think a lot of men today are, are intentionally trying to unlearn like toxic masculinity. Yeah. And make it an intentional process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that their relationship is important in terms of seeing how that's bridged. It really culminates in that moment where Nux dies, where we talk about the response nature yeah. of the two warring kind of ideas. ideas yeah. Philosophy, religion, whatever you really want to call it. But yeah, it is this ability that she gains to bridge a gap that mm-hmm. seems like it can't be bridged at all. It seems like insurmountable, for sure. Yeah disconnected and it's and it's an important connection to make i think especially if you're considering like what a future for this population looks like um and what the the war boys 
purpose looks like in this new world. Well, and it's you see the like ones that were first to turn at the end are the youngest. Yeah. They're these little dudes who are just yeah. like instantly like, free them. Yeah. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> we're out of here. They don't really go past that. That's another thing. And we see it a lot with Nux. They're isn't a ton of development as an adult necessarily. Like yeah. the war boys are boys still, regardless of kind of like what age they're at. So to have this like ability to reach and like understand and empathize mm-hmm. with a population that's now going to be completely unhinged from everything they know now that Immortan Joe is dead is vital in considering like the world building aspects of it. Not to mention just like the pleasantness of seeing one of the wives who has like lived under this disgusting sequence of events and like her life has just been complete captivity like finding a chosen kind of relationship in mm-hmm. all of it that's about all the wives well it's cheeto she rebels in the end like she her, finds her yeah in bravery she's able to use her weakness to yeah, take she, advantage yeah. yeah she uses her fragility as a hoax essentially yeah but yeah, the development of the wives is really cool to see, even though, like, again, it's not really, it's not a film that really, like, lends itself to classic understandings of character development, Mm-mm. where it's like, oh, there's dialogue, and now we understand why they make this jump. A lot of it's happening off screen, you just gotta assume that, like, shit's changing fast. Each of these characters are going through very complex, I'm know, honestly amazed. Journeys. That's the thing, is, like, in, this movie shouldn't have that much diverse journeys for these what, five women? Mm-hmm. It should, like, any other director, like I said, would have it mainly just be Furiosa's, Furiosa's story, Max's story, Joe, and Nux. They're just a collective group in the same way that, like, the many mothers are. But no, it's great to have that much character development for these essentially mainly just side characters who yeah. could have easily served as a collective group to symbolize one message. Right. Yeah, no, they symbolize, like, a series of messages. While still also being able to be as cohesive We're coming near the end, folks. It's a lot to digest. But... All right, Max C bef- boy. Yeah, good old Max, Mr. Tom Hardy himself. So we've talked a lot about these kind of warring ideals, and Max is kind of the deciding factor. He is just a lone wolf. He doesn't really take part in most of this stuff. He's been damaged by the system so much that he's pretty much separated himself from really caring about the world and is really out for just his own survival which mm-hmm. i mean like fair in that fucked up environment in this fucked up mm-hmm. environment makes sense yeah is an understandable course to take i'm not positive how much of the original mad max character was brought into this i think there's obvious but... hints at a past duh with yeah. those flashbacks i don't i'm not familiar with the older films obviously yeah. so i'm assuming he must be referencing something that happened previously but it doesn't hold you back from understanding the main point of this film yeah essentially this is a character that has survived for so long without kind of any human connection mm-hmm. especially positive human connection is just kind of living with his own thoughts at this point yeah to the point where like he's pretty much nonverbal. He is very animalistic in a lot of ways in his mannerisms and his wants and needs. I mean, just in his verbalization, it's very grunty. Yeah. (laughs) He grunts a lot. Um, Rarely speaks in the film. Developing then into a camaraderie with Mm -hmm. this group of people that he's 
<laughs> enveloped into. It's interesting, and I brought it up, and it I, something I really like about the movie is, like, how fast people are, like, accepted into mm-hmm. this motley crew of rebels, and how quickly they form connection to each other. And a lot of it happens off screen or it just happens in a way that there's a non-verbal non-depicted like understanding when mm-hmm. they're in these battle sequences when they are communicating it's just an understanding on a level that like as a viewer we can't really empathize with to a point because it's like all right like yeah i don't know how quickly i would trust someone in this post-apocalyptic universe well, here's the like, thing, you know though, it's like they're in the middle of the fucking desert yeah. where else are they gonna go yeah like yeah I mean, so it, like, it makes sense. Like, Yeah, when you're in the middle of the fucking madness, yeah. you're going to have to just make these quick decisions kind of on the fly. Yeah. You're going to have to trust your own judgment. Exactly. And I mean, for Furios and Max, like there's clearly a very intense connection there, mm-hmm. committed connection there. It also shows how desperately human beings need connection. Mm-hmm. Because despite the fact that, like, he's been on his own all this time, all he wants is to escape and be on his own again and, like, be free with his hallucinations and all this kind of stuff. Free two-headed geckos. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In peace over a mountainside. Within the course of, like, pretty much less than three days, he's 100% connected Mm -hmm. to Furiosa and wants to support her and wants to, you know, bring the wives of Furiosa back to the Citadel and, like, retake the Citadel, is willing to, like, die with them for this goal that, like, he doesn't even have any stakes in. No, I mean, like, he doesn't need to really take part in this. He has his freedom. He can go and he'll be mostly fine because he's pretty self-sufficient. As fine as you could be in this environment. Yeah, but it's really about someone being able to, like I kind of talked earlier about finding hope in yourself. He finds hope in the collective and Mm -hmm. finding hope in, I mean, really women. Yeah. But obviously we see it with the last shot in the movie. Some can interpret that as him, oh, he's done his job now, he's going to be on his own. But the fact that he's among the crowd, among the collective, like Mm -hmm. he's now here he's part of the community he's accepted that he doesn't have to be a lone wolf that he can actually contribute and make a difference and look at the difference that he helped to make was he changed the entire in a way he changed the landscape yeah like at least this this portion of the world like we don't know what the fuck else is going on out there this is the world yeah there is a theory that this is just like happening right now in australia (laughs) and like no one knows but it's in the middle of the outback no honestly and i think it is interesting for max to represent complacency how even when you're just kind of like looking out for yourself by not taking a stand against something you are supporting you're part it. of the problem yeah because yeah. he was a victim of it obviously he was, uh captured to be a uh human blood donor well blood donors are human i mean in but... a way though i think that experience probably helped him understand fully the problem at hand. Cause yeah. I think for so long he was living on his own on the road, just trying to survive. But now he really saw the day to day violence that so many of these individuals have to endure right. at the hands of Joe and at the hands of what is really their only salvation and survival mm-hmm. that even though when he finally does escape, I don't think he can escape with a clear conscience knowing that that is still happening. Right. You know. The film and Max don't take the expected route for the namesake of an action movie where it's like Max is going to go and be the new king of the Citadel. Mm-mm. No, Max is going to be like, you guys actually need to go back and fix this. Because like, he can't. 
mm-hmm. but he knows these ladies definitely could. Yeah. Which is an important distinction because that is kind of the formula is the main character. A call to action for him to find glory as opposed to what actually happens, which yeah. is a call to action to bring agency back to the suppressed. Right. Use your own power to help those who don't have it. Yeah. Or not only do they not only do they not have power, but they're the only ones qualified to change anything. Yeah. Our queen. Wow, wow, wow. The icon <laughs> of the resistance. Listen, she's like the ultimate badass. I, you could bring me any other character and I'd be like, you're wrong. She Curiosa. is perfect. Yeah. I love her so much. <laughs> I am genuinely curious what her story is before yeah. end. Like, I don't even know if I want a sequel. Like, I'd be curious to see what the prequel of her becoming this person was. The bits of her story that we do have is quite a mitch-mashed collection. That wasn't mm-hmm. the word, but I tried. Because you have a young girl who's kidnapped um, with her mother from a matriarchal... Utopia. Utopia. The green place. Yeah. For unknown reasons. We're not even really sure if it was by Immortan Joe. Yeah, it could have been by some other warlord faction and she eventually ended up at as, the citadel yeah, yeah. I, i'm very curious though like how she eventually got into this place of pretty high stature pretty much the highest stature she's out like of anyone like the number one in his horde yeah like, he's the only the one that leads she's the only one that like he says like i salute you to like he shows any deference to her as a warrior he doesn't even show his kids the same respect no. <laughs> as he shows her. And it's interesting because she's also like the only woman we see in a position like this. Yep. In any kind of regard. At least in this society, obviously. Right. Know, she returns home. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, there aren't like... We mm-hmm. don't even really see a lot of other imperators necessarily. I guess we no. do. We see a handful yeah. of them, but all men. Mm-hmm. And she is the one who is trusted the most. I think the closest we see would be the older woman who I'm assuming was some sort of keeper. like wet nurse yeah. or keeper to the mothers um, and yeah. wives. Um, but really, I think that that's not really a position of power. It turned into a position of power once she showed it like a stance of defiance. But mm-hmm. I think that's the closest we get to anything yeah nearing what furiosa yeah in terms of status like she has the highest status you know that can be gained essentially right below joe yeah yeah she's like his trusted general essentially so what that story is between her being a kidnapped child with her mother who died three days later to her being you know the most trusted general of a megalomaniac gross guy (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the hell that story is, but I'm desperate to know. Yeah. I need more Furiosa. Right meow. Yeah. And also the fact that like she has been planning this from day one. Yeah. She said that she, she's been counting the days because they asked like how long it's been. And she says like 7,000 something days plus the ones I don't remember. Like she has been leading up to this her entire life. And I think so much of it is an urge to get back to maternal roots, like in Mm -hmm. her former leaders back when she was a child without fully understanding the place of power that she's found in herself and created for herself and realizing that she is the leader that I think she goes out looking for in the Mm -hmm. quote-unquote green place I mean I don't think it's a mistake that she has green eyes in this (laughs) like 
the power that she's looking for was always in her. In her. Probably the most impactful scenes in the entire film is when she realizes that the green place doesn't exist yeah anymore i mean it's one of the i think it's become one of the most iconic shots of the film of the film like whenever before seeing this when it comes to like establishing shots that was one of if not the most notable Yeah, yeah because it is kind of the major turning point for a character it's the destruction of like everything she's been leading up to her yep. entire life the mourning of the fact that, that place no longer exists also the question of like whether she i mean that she was too late to see the green place again to mm-hmm. return home it's been seven thousand days and like how long it took her to get back finally the hopelessness of like there's nowhere else to go after that which doesn't necessarily break her down for long because immediately after that she's making plans to like find a new place and like cross the salts and all this kind of stuff. But like that moment of stripping her arm Pure off despair. and rage. So much was stolen from her. I think that she was able to get through the injustice of things that happened to her. She was able to power through with the expectation that like someday she's going to escape. Someday she's going to get home. Home's gone doesn't exist anymore well it's just like you look at her physically like the action of ripping away her prosthetic like you see the full extent of what's just even physically been stripped away from her Mm -hmm. with her arm her fucking hair like yeah and having that backdrop not just against the desert but against dunes yeah like just vast empty sand dunes like yeah she's lost everything yeah She's beyond repair. Yeah. And in that moment, it's not only the loss, but it's the ability to feel anger targeted towards someone else, something Mm -hmm. else. There's no longer a hope there. Yeah. There's no longer something to mute down her rage and her anguish. It's a very raw, visceral moment to see someone break that completely. Especially someone who, like, is so ferocious. But eventually she does realize... She has to make the green place. She has to be the change or else there's not going to be a change. Yeah. And clearly she has built herself and the world has built her to be like the best option Mm -hmm. to make that world. It's interesting that she was like spending her whole life building herself up to get to a point where she could escape. And now she built herself up to the point where she can change things. Mm -hmm. Uh So that was my pick. Yeah. Uh, We're at the end of the uh, Fury Road. (laughs) <laughs> we made it what's at the end of the road hopefully yeah. a rest stop everyone <laughs> everyone needs to watch this movie a few times to fully get it and there's plenty of conversation that can come from this dense dense film stressful film perfect film as we established in our last podcast we are going to do our quick rating systems out of five how likely are you to recommend this movie to someone else and just try to like sell them on it? Yeah. I'll go first. Five out of fucking five. <laughs> um, this is an adrenaline fueled fucking thrill ride. <laughs> so if you want to be thrown for a like complete loop, yes. But if you also want like a fucking complete doctorate thesis on like gender dynamics and the toxic like tendencies of our current political and social state it's an added plus <laughs> also tom hardy <laughs> and charlie's Charlie throne it's per- I mean... it's it's insane five out of five <laughs> 
I mean, I would also say five out of five. Probably if I were to recommend this and try and sell someone on it, I would probably tell them that it has Charlize Theron in it. That's kind of all you need to know. (laughs) And Tom Hardy. And it's like, if you like action movies, you should just watch it. But if you like action movies that have substance, watch it. That's it. You sold us. You sold us on it. Yay! I won them over. So that's that. That's Leah's movie. Next up is my movie. We will be watching Hunt for the Wilder People, directed by our beloved Taika Waititi. (laughs) Our boy! It's my favorite Taika Waititi movie. It's so fucking good. I can't wait for you guys to watch it. That's a lot to say after Ragnarok. It's everything you love about all of his other stuff, just, and more. You will see. But yes, that is next episode, and that's that on Fury Road. And that's that for this episode of Film School Sucked. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Follow us on social media at Burger Movie Blog, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Subscribe, rate, review. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, Leah. Final words? I'm tired. That was a lot. I need a glass of water (laughs) immediately. It's dusty in here. I I guess my final words. Hydrate, folks. There you go. (laughs) And go see Fury Road. The end. And Atomic Blonde. Yeah. It's just food trucks. They cook all their food in, t- in it. But they were on like monster wheels. Like sure, monster yeah. Wheels. They had to so like, the, they cook all their, the, actually the war rig like held the catering. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, that's another thing. They actually just survived off mother's milk. That was it. Ew, <laughs> shut up. That's a vile. Ah. Ew. Ugh. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs>